Now, for Raising the Bar, Greater RVA's premier law talk radio show. Call into the show with your stories and questions at 804-454-1366. 804-454-1366. Good morning and welcome to Raising the Bar, Greater RVA's law talk radio show. This is attorney Colleen Quinn of the law firm of Locke and Quinn. And today we're going to talk about Virginia's confusing court system and when you can get by without having an attorney and when you probably need to hire one um, in order to keep yourself out of hot water. And joining me today is attorney Katie Kitstein, also of the law firm of Locke and Quinn. We're going to yin and yang a little bit about this topic. Feel free to call into the show if you've ever encountered a traffic ticket or you've got a family law dispute. Um, In many, many cases, folks have confronted the court system in Virginia Mm -hmm. one way or the other, hopefully not from a criminal standpoint. (laughs) Um, And remember that Locke and Quinn is a personal services law firm located conveniently at Willow Lawn, where there is a mecca now of uh, dining options, right? So you get your uh, legal services, your estate planning, employment law, personal injury, family law, we do it all. And if we don't do it, we'll put you in the good hands of somebody that does. Mm -hmm. So, Katie, let's get going on this uh, interesting topic. And we're going to try to do it in a, in a more entertaining style than somebody might have in a, in a civics or government class, right? (laughs) We'll do our best. Absolutely. (laughs) So what are the most common types of courts that um, average folks encounter in Virginia? I would say the two most common ones are the general district court where folks encounter traffic tickets, Mm -hmm. anything from a parking ticket to reckless driving. Um, So, you know, failure to yield, uh, I think it's pretty hard to get by in life um, without at some point probably drawing a traffic ticket, Right. you know. And then the other court would be probably the Juvenile Domestic Relations General District Court, which mm-hmm. we call the the JDR court for short, short Juvenile mm-hmm. Domestic Relations Court, because usually it's unfortunate, but um, oftentimes in life somebody will encounter some sort of um, family dispute, whether it's custody, support, um, your uh basically having to seek a protective order. You've got a juvenile delinquency problem. So the the family law court is one that is pretty heavily used by most of the population. Yeah. And those are our kind of lower level courts too. And so those are sort of the first encounters that people are having. Um, What if it doesn't go their way? Is that something, can people appeal from those courts? Yeah. And so that's kind of an interesting thing. There's something called um, an appeal de novo, which means of new or Mm -hmm. being new. And so um, from both of those courts, if you get a bad ruling, you can appeal it for a brand new trial Mm -hmm. at the circuit court level. And that can be kind of a blessing or a curse, depending on, on the type of case. So let me tell a war story about um, my reckless driving ticket, okay, as by way of example. Um, that actually turned out to be a blessing that I could appeal it to mm-hmm. circuit court. So um, I had just gotten a brand new car, and now this was 16 years ago, so it's not so new anymore, but um, I had basically um, gotten rid of my um, 18-year-old Ford Explorer, which which if, if it went over 60 miles an hour, it would shake and shimmy and whatever. So I got in a brand new car. I was on 288 going to court. 
in Chesterfield and coming down a hill, looked at my phone because my client had called. Um, my, that car did not shake and shimmy. It was brand mm-hmm. new. So um, I wasn't used to the fact that it it, uh, it could go that fast. And I looked down at my phone to the right. I looked down to the left and I see a state trooper to my left. I look at my speedometer. I'm going 86 miles per hour. That is reckless driving. Yes. Anything over 80 is reckless driving. Mm-hmm. So um, I got pulled over. Um, obviously, I was very apologetic to the police officer. Um, told him I'd just gotten this car. Didn't didn't even realize that it could go that fast mm-hmm. without shaking and shimming like my old Ford Explorer. And, um, of course, I got the ticket. And I went to the general district court, figured, okay, I'm a lawyer. I can handle this myself. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and you you can pretty much go to general district court on traffic stuff, but reckless driving is a, a bit more serious. Right. You know, it can re- result in the suspension of your license. So um, go to general district court, uh, explain to the judge that I was an officer of the court. Mm-hmm. I barely got that out of my mouth. And he said, Miss Quinn, I don't care who you are. <laughs> And um, he said, this is reckless driving. And I said, yes, sir, I'm so sorry. I've got a good driving record, et cetera, et cetera. And he goes, well, he goes, he goes I'm sorry, but I am going to suspend your license. And of course, I was just like, oh, my God. Right. You know, and um, then he paused and then he, he goes, I'm going to suspend it for six months. And then he paused again. And of course, I'm just like crestfallen. And then he looked at me and he goes, but today is your lucky day because I'm going to suspend the suspension, <laughs> so, which is basically I'm putting it on your record, but uh-huh. then I'm going to allow you to drive, um, but you have to pay all the fines, et cetera. Right. So then, of course, a lot of my lawyer friends came running up afterwards and they're like, what are you doing? Because I don't do traffic court. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, you need to appeal this right away for brand new trial in circuit court. You need to go to driving school. Mm-hmm. Um, so pretty much they gave me the advice that I would have gotten had I consulted right a lawyer right lawyer. yeah <laughs> good traffic lawyer go up to circuit court level at that point I've I've gotten um through driving school etc and the circuit court judge asked the trooper was I polite etc and the trooper said yes I was very polite and I would cooperate it and the circuit court judge said well I don't know why we're punishing a perfectly good driver I'm gonna dr- drop this to uh driving with a um with a defective part basically, yeah. you know, driving a, a vehicle, lesser, yeah, yeah, lesser, so a totally lesser charge and mm-hmm. everything, which is good because I didn't, um, I wouldn't get the same number of points. Right. Um, and also with the driving school, it kind of countered the points and then you have to worry about your auto insurance and mm-hmm. everything. So that was a good outcome by having our court system and being able to have that trial run in general district court and then right. being able to appeal it to the circuit court. So for traffic infractions, um, that's, that's a good outcome. On the other hand, in family law court, um, if you get a result like on a child support case or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, which again, in juvenile court, you can proceed without an attorney, but if the other side gets an attorney, you're at a distinct disadvantage. Mm -hmm. So um, in juvenile court, you can get a fairly quick outcome with the judge. In juvenile court, those cases move pretty fast. But then either side, again, can appeal it for a brand new trial in circuit court. Mm -hmm. And that's where um, the system is a little bit more of a curse. Yes, you get a second bite of the apple. But now, especially if you've got an attorney, you're running up your attorney fees to do it a second time around. Um, But most people 
don't realize that our court system is set up that way. And it, it can be either a blessing or it can be a curse, depending on the type of case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know we had some clients on a few weeks ago who were talking about how they had to do the trial all over again after they had been through a pretty emotional trial in the juvenile court on an adoption. And that was that was tough for them. So. Yeah, yeah, to have to go through it another time around. Yeah, after they felt like, all right, we won. Somebody already made the decision. But then now we're starting from scratch and doing it all all over again. Yeah. One level up, so... Um, all right. So what are, we've been talking about these kind of first level courts, the GDC, the general district court and the JDR courts. Um, what are all of the different, um, types of courts that we do have in Virginia? Right. So those two are basically your entry level courts, Mm -hmm. you know, and the ones where the clerks are pretty good working with you Mm -hmm. that, um, you can get by sometimes without a lawyer, of course, unless the other side has a lawyer. So when we think about our general district courts, we're thinking about the ones that we talked about, the traffic cases. Right. They handle the criminal cases involving minor offenses, mm-hmm. mis- misdemeanors, et cetera. They handle civil cases involving um, landlord-tenant disputes, mm-hmm. um, collection actions, um, a lot of uh, those type of lesser cases. Also, um, those courts, the general district courts, can do uh, personal injury type cases, um, but there's a jurisdictional limit of 25000 So that's the mm-hmm. maximum that can be recovered in the general district court. It's There's no jury. It's a little bit more relaxed because it's just in front of the judge. So the rules of evidence, um, you, they're still there, but they're just, they're not quite as strict. Mm-hmm. You've got in a personal injury case, rather than having to bring the actual doctors in to testify, you've got the ability to use affidavits. So you can use the general district court um, in a more cost-effective way to get um, recovery. Um, but again, you do have the, the, the de novo appeal, the ability right. to appeal it for a brand new trial in the, in the circuit court. Then um, we also have um, the juvenile court. Mm-hmm. Um, and the juvenile court is basically the same level as the general district court. So these are called courts not of record. Right. You know, so, um, and the the juvenile courts basically focus on those family law matters that we mentioned. Mm-hmm. Custody, support, equitable distribution, protective orders, juvenile delinquency, mm-hmm. those sorts of abuse and neglect cases, the termination of parental right cases by Department of Social Services. Right. Um, adoption consents. Adoption for consents. For some happier stuff. Right, right. For some happier stuff yeah. in the juvenile court. Exactly. The judges are really happy when we come in and it's an adoption case and it's right. everybody's on the same page and this is what everybody wants mm-hmm. and it's not being disputed. Um, and again, of, of course, you've got the de novo appeal to, to circuit court. Right. So um, the circuit court then hears those appeals. Right. Right. First of all. And then it also hears the criminal cases involving more serious offenses like Mm -hmm. felonies and, of course, the personal injury and medical malpractice and um, the bigger cases, bigger contract cases, commercial litigation cases, um, anything over the $25,000 limit um, are in those circuit courts. And um, so they can have jurisdiction over the lesser claims uh-huh. under 25,000 um right. but if the case is more, worth more than 25,000 it has to be brought in the circuit court right. so in you're order skipping to, that first level and going right to circuit court at that point right right mm-hmm. so if you have an auto case um or let's say you've got a breach of contract case and it's you know you're fighting over $50,000 you're going to have to file that one in circuit court mm-hmm. and it's pretty hard to get by in circuit court without an attorney yeah you know at that point you're you've got 
too many evidentiary rules, too many procedural mm-hmm. things to overcome. And you don't get the do-over with right, the you appeal. Don't, <laughs> right, you don't get to the trial run, you yeah. know, or then you get to appeal it and get the uh, the brand new trial. So you're pretty much, at this point, this is your one shot yeah. at it. And if you you're know. not preserving your objections correctly and things like that, then you're going to be out of luck if you lose. So Exactly, exactly. And then from the circuit court, um, the appeal from that court will go either to the Court of Appeals or directly to the Supreme Court of Virginia. And that's not like a brand new trial. That's looking at the circuit court, what the trial court did in the circuit court and seeing do they abuse their discretion mm-hmm. is typically the most common standard. There's other standards. Mm-hmm. But at that point, you can't add new evidence. You can't bring in new testimony, et cetera, right. um, except in certain circumstances. Um, and so basically at that point, it's just the reviewing, the court's reviewing what was done below. Mm-hmm. They're not they're not taking new evidence or new testimony or listening to it as a brand new case. Right. Yeah. So, and then certain cases go automatically to the Court of Appeals if that's where you're appealing to, like family mm-hmm. law and workers' comp cases, right. that sort of thing. Um, but other cases, like personal injury cases, go up to the Court of Appeals, excuse me, the Virginia Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. And then the Virginia Supreme Court has the discretion whether to take the case or not take the case. Right. So it's not necessarily even an automatic appeal. Exactly. Exactly. So they can decide whether it's something they want to look at, mm-hmm. whether it looks like there's some sort of um, issue in the law that they want to address or whether it's just really not something that that they feel there was any error or anything mm-hmm. that they need to address. Yeah. Right. Um, so what about all these other kind of phrases I think that people hear about court. You hear things like small claims court, magistrates, and intake officers. Where do all, where do all of those fit into oh, this yeah. whole big system? Right. So it, it gets a little, a little bit tricky. But so in the small claims court, um, basically the amount has to be less than $5,000. Um, you don't have attorneys. You don't have formal rules of evidence. So this is the most user-friendly right. court for folks they, they actually say you're not allowed to have attorneys right. in it's, small yeah. claims court. So yeah. you, you don't have this issue of, well, the other side has one. Now I have to hire one. Right. But the so. amount is under that $5,000. And that is in the general district court. And, of course, the, the clerks are trained to mm-hmm. be very helpful to help right. people. And this is just to try to resolve those really super small claims as between folks mm-hmm. that are $5,000. Excuse me, are less than $5,000. Yeah. You know, so that's. That's um, a good court to know about if mm-hmm. you do have a minor dispute, whether it's an engagement ring that you want back. Right. Or, you know, you've got um, a rent deposit that you might want to get back mm-hmm. from a landlord. Um, you've got maybe um, an argument over having loaned somebody $3,000 right. or something. You know, those sorts of smaller disputes between folks. So, um the magistrates, most folks will go to a magistrate, if, especially if they need to swear out a warrant against somebody. Right. Maybe somebody stalking them. Um, maybe uh, somebody uh, uh, attacked them, mm-hmm. assault and battery type case. So magistrates can issue warrants, summons, bonds, search warrants, subpoenas, and civil warrants. Um, and they also can conduct bond hearings to, con- to set bail. Um, and they can also accept prepayments for traffic infractions and minor misdemeanors. So a lot of criminal cases will start with the magistrate. Yeah, before even getting yeah. to a court, they you right. know, you've got to deal with the warrant and the yeah. things like that. So we had the case where the lady was on the Amtrak train. Mm-hmm. And um, remember, the drunk on the Amtrak train basically um, attacked her. Mm-hmm. 
And so uh, in that case, the Amtrak folks held him um, until the police could come, the Henrico police could come. And then uh, she was immediately instructed by the Henrico police to get to the magistrate to swear out her warrant. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the the gentleman who attacked her remained held because he was on his way back to Florida. And so by doing that, she was able to to get that warrant sworn out and to basically hold him there until they could basically set bond, set a date for him to come back on that that personal attack, assault and battery charge. I actually had a good friend who was a magistrate for a while in, um, in Virginia. And because they, you know, because this is the type of work they do there, you know, there always has to be a magistrate on duty. And since she was the newer magistrate, she got the like 9 PM to 4 AM. She, she, she drew the short <laughs> so, straw on that one. Yeah, yeah. But she liked to tell people that she was a midnight judge because she thought that sounded oh, cooler. It does sound a lot better. Yeah. So. so your intake officers, um, your juvenile and domestic relations, um, courts have intake officers um, who uh, receive basically and review complaints and decide whether there are enough facts to involve the court. So basically they can decide whether a petition should be brought so that you can bring the matter before the judge and they also can detain juveniles. So um, you know folks that are struggling with a juvenile delinquent at Mm -hmm home or um, you've got petty theft issues, yeah. you know, they can kind of decide, is this something that can be handled by the family or is this something where we, we've we got to basically bring this child in into the court system? Right. So be- again, that's kind of that first layer before you actually get into the JDR. Right. Right. Court, it sounds like. And so they don't handle criminal charges against adults that come into the juvenile court. Right. Those go through the magistrate. Um, so the intake officers are typically working a lot with those juveniles mm-hmm. and the families, et cetera, there. And then drug court, because you hear that term too. Right. And that's not actually a separate court, but it's a program run through the both the juvenile and general district courts right. relating to drug offenses. And so participants are closely monitored, but also given treatment and rehabilitation right. uh, resources. So um, that it gets a little bit confusing because... You have these different names for the different courts, mm-hmm. um, like small claims court, but that actually is general district right. court. Right. Some of these are courts within courts. Exactly. Um, and drug court is not a separate court, but mm-hmm. again, a program within either the general district or the juvenile courts. Right. So where do um, protective orders get filed? Because we've talked about, you know, JDR court being domestic relations issues, but also, you know, cr- criminal stuff being in either GDC or circuit court. Um, so if, if you're someone who needs to um, get a protective order, where do you start? Right. And so um, I'm kind of oversimplifying it, but right. generally if if it involves a family member or somebody that you've lived with mm-hmm. um, or it involves children that you have in common, then usually you can go to the juvenile court mm-hmm. for that protective order. Um, if it involves somebody that you've not lived with, let's let's say um, Yardley Love, um, yeah. the UVA case, where it was a, a, a boyfriend, mm-hmm. but they weren't living together, et cetera. Um, in that case, she if she would have had gone generally to the general district court, but if if she had like sworn out um, a criminal complaint against him, yeah, because I think or, at the time the laws changed because has, of that case, where yeah. she wouldn't have been able to get just a protective order. She would have had to swear out a criminal right. charges against him. Right. Um, 
because they weren't like married or living together or anything like that. And we've had some updates in the law to kind of remedy that gap there so that people can now get protective orders without having to, you know, get a criminal, swear out criminal charges against someone that, you know, might be abusing or stalking or. Exactly. Exactly. So um, before the law change, um, in order for her to get that protective order, she she couldn't go to family court because he wasn't right. a family member. She hadn't lived with them. They didn't have children in common. And so she'd have to go to the general district court and then she could swear out um, a criminal complaint and that would automatically then get her into mm-hmm. the system for getting the protective order. Um, and now, right, exactly right, since that law changed, she doesn't have to actually bring the criminal complaint. She can go to the general district court and still get the protective order yeah. um, without actually, because that's really tough when you, you know, you're, you love somebody, but you're scared of them, mm-hmm. um, but you, um, and you really don't want them to have a criminal record. Right. You know, so that was a great change um, in great reaction to that particular situation. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about um, our our state courts in Virginia and just all these courts we've been talking about so far are their state courts. Um, where do federal courts fit in? Because that is a whole different That's a whole different system. beast. Yeah, a whole <laughs> yeah. different ball of wax. Mm-hmm. So basically, um, there are certain crimes mm-hmm. that give the federal court jurisdiction. Right. Um, we um, we had the case with the, uh, the, the person involved in... Um, being attacked because of a hate crime. Right. Um, and basically in that case where the hate crime happened also um, was in the stream of, in, in a business that had mm-hmm. certain stream of commerce that crossed state lines. And so there are certain um, crimes, um, for example, um, basically when you have crimes that cross state lines or that invoke federal or I think statutes. even if you're like speeding in a federal park, you end up having to go to federal court for, yeah. Your, yeah. <laughs> for your traffic ticket. I mean, there are just very specific things that are violations of specifically federal law Yeah, um, that you're going to end up in federal court for your, your speeding ticket if you're doing it in the wrong place. Right, right. And so, so there's certain crimes that invoke federal mm-hmm. jurisdiction. Um, there are a number of employment claims where there's right. concurrent jurisdiction, like under Title VII and Fair Labor Standards Act, mm-hmm. Family Medical Leave Act, et cetera. And basically, those are federal laws. And so while you may be able to file in state court, a lot of times they get removed to federal court because mm-hmm. federal court um, and federal laws preempt state court in yeah. those cases. Um, and then there's um, this crazy thing where if— um, you are suing somebody that's in another state. Yeah. Okay. And the amount in controversy is more than 75000 Then that basically allows that person to either remove the case from state court or you file directly in federal court. Mm-hmm. And it's called diversity of citizenship. So right. basically it's to give that person in the other state a fair shake by not having to be stuck with being sued in the court in of another court state. of Virginia. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, we are about to cut to the break, but we are talking about Virginia's crazy court system today and when you need a lawyer and when you don't need a lawyer. And feel free to call into the show at 804-454-1366 if you've got any questions about the court system. You've been listening to Raising the Bar, Greater Richmond's premier law talk radio show. 
Call into the show with your stories and questions at 804-454-1366. Now, back to Raising the Bar. Call into the show with your stories and questions at 804-454-1366. We are back. This is attorney Colleen Quinn of the law firm of Locke and Quinn. And today we are talking about Virginia's crazy court system and when can you get by without a lawyer and when do you really need a lawyer? Um, And so we have talked about the primary courts that folks um, typically encounter, and that is the general district court for traffic infractions and also the juvenile uh, domestic relations court we call the JDR court for Mm -hmm. family law issues. Um, Of course, if you're not really careful, um, if you get into trouble, then you're going to encounter the general district court too on a crime um, if you're not really careful. Um, So we've been talking about those kind of um, easy to use court systems. Mm -hmm. And then it gets a little harder as you get up to the circuit court level. And then right before the break, we were talking about actually federal court and federal court is about impossible to navigate without an attorney. If you're in federal court, Right, they have a lot of very, very strict procedures and rules that if you don't follow them, they're happy to toss your case right on out. Right, right. And then we were talking about courts within those courts Mm -hmm. because we've got the small claims court in the general district court and we've got the drug court Mm -hmm. within the general district and juvenile courts. And so those are kind of courts within those courts. But we didn't talk about, um, it was because people get a little bit confused, but workers' compensation claims start with the workers' compensation commission. Uh Uh-huh. So that doesn't start necessarily in the state, the traditional state court system, right. but still those claims are kind of adjudicated, mm-hmm. you know, before a commissioner, which is basically a judge. Right. Um, and those claims do get, can then get appealed through Virginia's court system, through the Court of Appeals. Right. But so. in those cases, you're almost having your trial before the administrative you know, that that administrative hearing is your trial, and then your appeal is basically based on what happened in that trial. So you don't want to mess up that exactly. administrative level hearing. Exactly. So folks that do encounter workers' comp claims, mm-hmm. um, that is going to be in a more administrative-style mm-hmm. trial before a commissioner. Um, same thing with unemployment claims yep. that go through the Virginia um, Employment Commission, the VEC. Mm-hmm. So, um, and those can be appealed to the circuit court, Mm -hmm. um, but that is not a brand new trial. You're pretty much stuck with whatever happened um, in the administrative proceedings level in the Virginia Employment Commission. Right. It gets really kind of crazy sometimes because folks are a little unsure of how our systems work, Mm -hmm. you know, but we've had lots of folks go through the Virginia Employment Commission and then contact us after they've gotten, they've gone up through the appeals in the Virginia Employment Commission and then contact us to handle their case. And we have to explain, hey, at this point, you're stuck with whatever right. happened below because even though you do have an appeal to circuit court, you're stuck with that evidence. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know? And so it does get a little confusing because on the other hand, 
if we had, um, you know, we were talking earlier about when we when you have a case in general district court like a traffic ticket mm-hmm. or you have a custody or support case in juvenile court, you get a brand new trial to uh-huh. circuit court and you get to reintroduce your evidence and do it all over again. Uh-huh. And uh, you don't get to do that once you've exhausted, the gone through the workers' comp commission or you've gone through the unemployment commission. Yeah, so people have to be careful about those administrative hearings and procedures and maybe you do need a lawyer at that level. Right. Um, for some of those. Social security, I think, is another one that, you know, it's a lot, very administrative. Sometimes with social services, they'll have decisions that, you know, go through that administrative process. And, um, yeah, it's, <laughs> I think people lock themselves into things before realizing, oh, maybe I should have hired a lawyer six months a lot ago. Earlier. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, now, now that I'm stuck with uh, the evidence that I put in. Mm-hmm. So, um, we were going to talk a little bit, Katie, about how a personal injury case in general district court differs from one in circuit court. Right, because you have the that certain amount of money where you can file in either. Right. Um, you kind of have that that area between, I think it's 4500 and 25000 You're allowed to fi- file in either general district court or you can go straight to circuit court with your with your case. So what are the differences and why might you choose one over the other? Well, you know, if, if it's not a really big case, if it's under 25000 you you typically will want to file it in general district court and not circuit court because it's going to cost you a lot less. Yep. Um, you don't get a jury in general district court. Mm-hmm. You do get a jury in circuit court, but you don't always necessarily want a jury. <laughs> Sometimes a, a judge is going to give you a better result mm-hmm. in general district court. Um, when I mentioned you don't have to spend as much, you don't. Ha- in circuit court, you have to actually bring your doctors live or get them by video deposition. Yep. In general district court, you can bring in the doctor evidence through affidavits, mm-hmm. you know, so they can basically say, yeah, these are your injuries, these are your medical bills, and an affidavit. That's right. a lot less expensive than paying some, you know, anywhere from 2000 to 10000 to bring a doctor to trial. So your doctor will charge you yeah. to come to trial <laughs> exactly, for you. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, and so uh, bringing it in that general district court can have a lot of advantages. Mm-hmm. Sometimes um, now, and you can you could do the case, the personal injury case, on your own. But still, there are enough procedural things where you probably, if it's a personal injury type case or a commercial litigation or contract right. type case, you probably still do want to have a lawyer, even in general district court. Um, but you'll get a trial a lot faster. You'll get an outcome a lot faster, and you don't have the same um, discovery rules like you don't get to. Uh, get involved in depositions right. and the exchange of what we call interrogatories and written questions without getting too technical. But mm-hmm. it's just a, a lot less complicated in the general district court if it's a smaller type of case. Right. And then you get the, the do-over. Right. Um, so why wouldn't you start at the lower level so you get the... Get the the uh, de novo, the brand new appeal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if, if you don't like the outcome in the general district court. Right. So it's sometimes difficult to explain to folks why you'd want to go that route if their case is worth less than 25000 But there are a lot of good reasons. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we've been talking about, you know, generally mentioning sometimes you can manage to get by without a lawyer. Sometimes you really need one. Um, so really, what are the situations where you have to have a lawyer? You really should have a lawyer to go to court. Well, if it is a fairly complicated case, mm-hmm. you're definitely going to want to have a lawyer. If it's a more serious charge, 
you know, if it's a traffic infraction and it's a DUI um, or in my case with that reckless driving Mm -hmm. ticket, I really needed to consult a lawyer. Um, If it's a lesser traffic infraction, like I also um, uh, at one point got a um, uh, turning, it was was basically uh, uh, failing to adhere to the, the turn lane line. Okay. So this was out in short pump, uh, the West End before it got expanded to yeah. as many lanes as it as it had, and basically um, I got into the left hand turn lane before the turn lane line, you know, uh, was drawn. Okay, mm-hmm. but if you didn't get into the turn lane before the turn lane line was drawn, then you were not going to get into that turn mm-hmm. lane because traffic had just gotten so bad out there. Mm-hmm. And so I can't remember exactly the infraction, but it was effectively, you know, failing to follow the. The lines of the road. Yep. <laughs> so, and because I don't do criminal or traffic work, I don't know the specific statutory um, infraction that it was. So in that one, I was, the judge was very, in the general district court, was very familiar with the traffic problem out mm-hmm. there at that time. And I was able to draw a diagram, et cetera, and be able to show that if you, if you didn't get into that turning lane early, you you were going to be stuck because people weren't so nice about letting you in. Because right. other like, people were getting in Because they early. were getting in that early. And, it, and otherwise, they considered you a cutter. You know, mm-hmm. like you'd be cutting in line. So anyway, that was an easy one to go in on, you know, as just as a litigant, not an attorney, and then have the judge say, yeah, I agree with you. They need to change the lines out there. And eventually, they did not mm-hmm. only change the lines, but they expanded the roads. And, right. you know, and now you've cut two turning lanes with a light and everything because it's it's gotten so bad. So that's um, one of those cases where you can say, hey, if it's it's a pretty minor traffic infraction, you might be able to get by without an attorney. Um, If it's just a a child support issue and um, the person on the other side, the spouse or Mm ex-spouse or whatever, um, doesn't have an attorney, you might be able to get by. Right. Um, Protective orders... Oftentimes, um, the clerk's office is really, really good. Um, I actually had to bring get a protective order myself at one point um, mm-hmm. against someone that was stalking. And one of my girlfriends just kind of held my hand and we got over there. And the clerk's office, was they were fabulous about mm-hmm. walking us through that. So that was um, a, a good one where you don't necessarily um, need to have um, an attorney name changes. Right. You know, um, there are some simple things that the clerk's office is really good about helping you with. Yeah, um, where you, they just have forms that you, right. you say, I want to do this, and they give you the form. You fill it out right there and pay, you know, whatever fee you need to pay. And Right, so um, a name change. But then on the other hand, um, a step-parent adoption that's now getting a little bit more complicated. Yep. And so you probably need an attorney. Mm-hmm. Divorce, you're going to need an attorney. Um, so when things start to get a little bit more com- complicated— um, and you can talk to the clerk's office, but the clerk's offices will pretty much tell you you need to get an attorney, mm-hmm. you know, if it's if it's something that's getting a little bit more complicated. The clerks are great to help you with procedures. What, what they can't do is give you legal advice. Right. Um, and when your case starts to get more complicated, you kind of hit the limit of what they're allowed to help you with. Um, if it's just kind of navigating, how does your court do this? Or, you know, is there a form for this? That they can be great, which is why you want to be very nice to the clerks. Right. Yes. <laughs> because even for lawyers, they can be very, very helpful. Um, or if you make them angry, then they can make your life very, very difficult. So, yeah. And the judges try to bend over backwards for yeah. pro se plaintiffs. Um, and also will try to give a clue and say, hey, this, mm-hmm. you, you may want to consult with a lawyer, um, mm-hmm. especially if they're going to miss some procedural 
deadline, if, there, right. if there's some technicality that's going to get their case thrown out. So um, it's just, a, I think folks need to listen to the clerks and the judges when they're kind of giving them a hint. Hey, right. hey, maybe this may be something that you can't really handle yourself. Mm-hmm. You might need to hire somebody. Absolutely. So uh, what are some of these little technicalities um, that people should probably be aware of, aware of <laughs> that they probably need a lawyer to help them navigate? So filing in the right court. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's a really big one. We've talked about the different courts. Uh-huh. So you need to make sure you're filing in the right one mm-hmm. um, and also in the right location, like right. the right venue. So it's not just the right level of court. You also have to make sure you're filing, if you should be filing in Henrico instead of Richmond, that you're filing in the Henrico General District Court instead of the Richmond one or... Right, right. And so uh, making sure that you're in that right jurisdiction Mm -hmm. is really important. Um, The drafting of pleadings, sometimes there are are cases like a divorce case where there's not going to be a form from the clerk's office that they're going to give you for that. So um, getting proper service. That's uh, a very tricky one. Yep, you can screw that up. Uh, Knowing the statute of limitations and deadlines. Suing the right person or right entity, because mm-hmm. um, if you sue the wrong person, you don't have the name right. We recently, we had just had that, there was the, the case that came down recently from the Virginia Supreme Court where they basically held that where the person sued the wrong defendant in a car accident mm-hmm. case, um, and they thought it they were given one name, but it was actually another name, um, that to the wrong person so right. that and case got thrown out because yeah. at that point the statute of limitations had run and you can't you can't just sue someone at any time after they wrong you you have a a deadline where you have to bring that lawsuit so right so like in personal injury cases it's two years mm-hmm. in virginia so um finding coverage insurance coverage mm-hmm. that's uh preserving objections um and knowing when you've got a problem with your case really early on there could be immunity issues like sovereign immunity etc et so mm-hmm. Um, there, there are just certain cases like personal injury cases, commercial litigation cases, some breach of contract cases that you really just are going to have to hire an attorney or at a minimum consult with an attorney early on. Right. And then there's also, I mean, I think this is sort of a, maybe not as specific, but attorneys are in the courts a lot. They know the bailiffs and the judges and the clerks and things like that. And that can be really helpful in your case if you're walking into a court and are completely unfamiliar with it, just having someone there who knows the people you're dealing with and is familiar with the system that you're in um, can be hugely helpful. Oh, yeah. I mean, knowing the judge's personalities, Mm -hmm. um, knowing their particular likes and dislikes and quirks and whatnot, (laughs) you know, Um, certain judges um, are going to want you to stand all the time. Other Mm -hmm. judges are, you know, if you, they're going to prefer that you sit, if if you give get permission to sit. Right. I mean, it's just all those little kind of nuances in terms of uh, what certain judges like or don't like, yeah. et cetera. So you mentioned that you, in a lot of cases you need to at least consult with a lawyer. Um, and that brings up kind of an interesting issue, which is this idea of sort of having a lawyer ghostwrite for you where they're not fully representing you, they're not going to court with you, but they're kind of maybe helping you. What What's allowed there? What's not? Yeah, so there's been a lot of back and forth in Virginia on whether attorneys can ghostwrite mm-hmm. on cases or not, and a lot of discussion with the legal aid societies, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But the, the the general rule is that you can get in trouble if you are what we call ghostwriting, which is, let's say um, my brother has a breach of contract case um, I don't know, maybe he hired a subcontractor or he hired somebody to do work around his mm-hmm. house. And 
he basically says, hey, Colleen, can you draft a, a lawsuit for me against this person without me actually signing off on the pleadings and letting him sign off on the pleadings? That's called ghostwriting. Mm-hmm. It's basically I'm the ghost writing it for him. Right. <laughs> um, and I can get in trouble by doing that. So the general rule is 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 that ghostwriting is at this point not really prohibited. So yeah. I would basically just need to say, hey, bro, um, either you got to do it on your own or... I'll step in and be your lawyer. <laughs> right. But you can't do the middle ground. Right. I just want to pay for an hour of your time and then do the rest of it on my own. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so we sort of talked about when you need a lawyer, when you don't. Um, when do you get a lawyer appointed by the court? Yeah. So that depends really on two factors, the type of case and the ability to pay. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's a, you know, basically, if you're a criminal defendant facing jail time, then you're going to be entitled to an attorney. If you have, if you haven't hired one and can't afford one, um, then the court's not going to. It's basically when you have certain freedoms or fundamental constitutional rights that are at issue. So, if you're a parent facing the termination of your parental rights, yep. um, so Department of Social Services has remove the children from your home due to abuse and neglect, and they're looking at terminating your parental rights, um, that's a certain fundamental constitutional right. So you've got the fundamental constitutional right to parent your kids. You've got the fundamental constitutional right not to be locked up, you know. So um, and, unless uh, you truly have uh, done something really bad so that you deserve to be locked up. So in those cases, that's when you, you can get a court-appointed attorney. Um, and also in some cases... Um, a guardian ad litem might be appointed if the person is a minor under mm-hmm. age 18, if they're incapacitated or disabled adult, if there's somebody that's under, you know, they've uh, mental retardation or they've got other serious um, handicaps, Down syndrome, whatever it might be. Um, and then, of course, if you have an incarcerated defendant in a civil case, too, due to certain civil crimes, so maybe um, uh, you might have... A case where, well, failure to pay child support is actually more criminal. But um, if you've, if if the person is incarcerated and you're trying to sue them on a civil claim, let's say you've had an auto accident with that person, mm-hmm. and then they went and they basically got arrested for embezzlement or yeah. something, um, then because they're incarcerated, they're under a disability. They're under a dis- They're considered to be Legal. under a disability in Virginia. Yeah. yeah. Or let's say um, they're incarcerated for. Or a variety of things, and you are seeking to do a step parent adoption and terminate their rights. Right. Then they would be entitled to get a free to get a guardian ad litem. Right. Yeah. So when do you not get a free? Because I think a lot of people think, well, if I can't afford an attorney, the court will appoint one. That's what you hear on TV. So when is that not true? Even if you can't afford an attorney. Yeah. So if you're the one bringing the case, you're like the plaintiff bringing a civil case. You're not going to get a free attorney. Right. Um, you know. And if you're the defendant in a civil case and you're not, you don't, you're not under age 18, you, you're not an incapacitated or disabled adult and you're not incarcerated on a felony, right. um, you're not going to be entitled to an attorney there either. So there is a lot of confusion about when yeah. you get an attorney or not. I mean, it's kind of like when you have that fundamental constitutional right to mm-hmm. parent or that fundamental constitutional right not to be locked up. Um, or you're under one of those disabilities of being a minor or having some sort of mental-type mm-hmm. handicap um, or disability, or you're that incarcerated defendant on a felony case. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the concept is is that um, 
you can't necessarily protect yourself with those fundamental constitutional rights. So we do have a caller on the line. We have Austin from Richmond. And Austin, are you there? Yes, I have a couple of questions. I hope you hadn't answered them already. Uh, my first is I don't I don't think you you mentioned when you get uh, what situations you would get a court appointed attorney, um, but I don't think you elaborated on what the qualification was for not being able to afford one. So uh, can I can I drive up in a Mercedes and, and you know say that I, I can't afford one and just get a free lawyer? Or what's the criteria for that? Well, if you drive up in a really old beat up Mercedes and, <laughs> and then you show that you show that your income is really low and actually um, a really good friend gave you that Mercedes because they felt really sorry for you because you were at such a poverty level. Um, So by way of example, let's say that you are going to have the rights to your children terminated because somebody's trying to do a step-parent adoption and terminate the rights because, Austin, you um, have allowed yourself to drop so low in life that you, um, you know, you basically don't have much money. You've, You've got this Mercedes that somebody's given to you, but it's a beat up old Mercedes. And so you go into the court and you say, look at, I'm a good dad. I don't want my parental rights terminated in the step-parent adoption, but I can't afford an attorney. So um, basically the court's going to give you a form to fill out to show what your income is, what your expenses are. And then if you are able to show that you are under that particular poverty line, the court's going to say, yes, this is a case that involves a fundamental right. That is your right to parent. And even though I, you did show up in a Mercedes, I can see that it's a beat up old Mercedes. It's not worth much. Um, you're not making enough money. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to appoint an attorney for you because this is a fundamental constitutional right. On the other hand, if you show up in a really nice, shiny, brand new Mercedes and you are an investment banker or stockbroker, um, and you live in a super nice house, and you are doing quite fine, um, and you basically show up in your, um, you know, brand new mm-hmm. uh, expensive suit, and uh, you go in before the judge, and you've got a Rolex watch on your, you know, wrist, and you basically say, well, I can't afford an attorney, well, the, if the court gives you that same form and you basically fill it out and you show that you clearly can afford an attorney, the judge is going to say, well, sorry, but you can't yeah. afford an attorney. And um, so we're not going to appoint one for you. And so basically that's kind of how that system works is you've got to show the court that you truly are unable to afford that attorney in order to get one appointed. So does that okay. kind of clarify the question a little bit more, Austin? It, it does. I hope, I hope this is in the rabbit trail, but I do have one, one more question. Is, Absolutely. is this a wholly objective criteria, or is this a slightly subjective criteria? Because it seems like there would be two things going on there. One would be the poverty line, and the other one would be what your income versus expenses are. Well, that is a really good question, because it's objective in terms of what the number the form, cutoff yeah. is, the form is, but it's completely subjective in terms of you know, what gets listed on that form. So the court's not going to go to your house and see that your utility bill is actually for sure what you put down. Yeah. Um, but you do have to swear it out under oath, under criminal convictions, if you have 
swayed, you know, if you've taken a little too much liberty in terms of what your income and your expenses are. So you pretty much need to be as honest as possible, right, without getting yourself into criminal hot water if you've kind of veered off of what the actual numbers are a little bit too much. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that does answer my question. So great. Thank, Thank you, you for calling in. All right. So that was an awesome question from Austin. Yeah. And um, of course, that applies too in the criminal cases mm-hmm. where you're looking at fundamental liberties. Right. And that sort of gets us into this topic. We've been talking a lot about civil cases and personal injury and, you know, domestic relations. Um, but now we're getting a little bit into. Um, criminal cases. What are, I mean, this is when you think of the two big areas of law, you have a lot of people who say, I'm a criminal lawyer. I'm, you know, largely a civil lawyer. Um, what What are some of the big differences between a civil case and a criminal case? Right. So in a criminal case, you're pretty much looking at losing your, your freedom of mm-hmm. movement and being locked up, um, mm-hmm. you know, or having to pay an enormous fine. So um, if we look at criminal law, Somebody can be jailed, fined, put on probation. Um, basically, you've got your fundamental uh, liberty interests and in being able to freely move around at issue. Um, civil law is basically tied more to private rights and remedies like property, commerce, administrative stuff. Yeah. So um, family law, child support, all that, that falls under the civil side. Mm-hmm. Um, but... If somebody is being held liable for a lot of child support, right. they could be subject to criminal penalties. Mm-hmm. So there is, again, that it's crazy confusion over the court system sometimes. So and a person can be charged with a crime and held liable under both civil law and criminal law. Let's say an assault and battery. Yeah, but, the state's going to come after you for criminal charges. Right. Because the state's always on the other side in a criminal case. Right. But the individual you hurt can come after you for money in a civil case. Right. The victim can come after you. So there are a number of cases um, where you can have both civil and criminal ramifications. And I think an assault and battery is one of the the mm-hmm. key examples that are out there. Um, also, let's say uh, getting a DUI and causing a, an accident. Yep. You can be charged with the criminal side of the DUI, but you can also have the civil personal injury case for the auto accident. So we have been talking today about Virginia's crazy court system and when do you need a lawyer and when do you get one and when do you not? And so join us next week on Raising the Bar when Jeremy Pryor is going to talk about estate planning. Mm -hmm. So another topic that folks need to to know about. Absolutely. 